Welcome to show 52 of the C-Suite podcast, an episode we have scheduled in especially to discuss uh, the fallout of the Public Relations Communications Association's decision to expel Bell Pottinger from its membership following investigation into the agency's dealing in South Africa with the Gupta family. And of course, this week, uh, Bell Pottinger has um, also been put into administration with a number of its uh, 250 staff being made redundant. So very sad demise, uh, particularly for those not directly involved in the uh, reasons why the company collapsed. Uh, My name is Russell Goldsmith. And joining me in the studios of Marketeers, it's actually a warm welcome back to the show to someone who is pretty central to this whole discussion, and that is the PRCA's Director General, Francis Ingham. Um, Alongside Francis, we have another previous guest of the uh, podcast, so welcome back also to Mark Bukowski. And completing our PR industry expert panel is Claire Walker, CEO of Firefly Communications, but Claire also chairs the uh, PRCA's Professional Practices Committee, so it's good to have her here too. Uh, Now, a lot has already been discussed across all parts of the media about this story, Um, Um, But in case you have been living in a cave for the past 18 months without Wi-Fi, a very quick summary is that Bell Pottinger was basically accused of stirring up racial tension in South Africa, all aimed uh, to draw attention away from the Gupta family, who have been accused of benefiting financially from their links to President Jacob Zuma. Um, Now, Bell Pottinger has also been accused of operating fake blogs and Twitter accounts to help drive these campaigns. Um, And I've also read that they suggested that Oak Bay, the Gupta's uh, company, doctored its Wikipedia page to show itself in a better light. So this all led to the PR expelling them from uh, their association and subsequent explosion of PR coverage about the case. Uh, Now, Francis, uh, you've already discussed on the Echo Chamber, um, another podcast presented by a good friend of this show, Arun uh, Sudarman, um, the detailed process uh, leading up to expelling Bill Pottinger from your association. So I don't want to go over all that again. But if anyone wants to hear that interview, uh, you'll find it via the Homes Reports website. Um, But last Friday, and obviously before BDO put the firm into administration, you tweeted, and I quote, My week in numbers, members expelled one, TV interviews five, Radio 4 ones two, other interviews 50 plus, uh, publications quoted 1,000 plus. um, And then you added a little wine glass emoji on the end. So when you tweet things like that, is it any surprise that some people have said you're enjoying all this? I wasn't enjoying it at all, actually. It's been a very full-on intensive um, few weeks, uh, including people coming around to my house at 4am and 3am and random people asking me how I'd like to be killed. Um, Right, Okay, I wasn't aware of that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Now, uh, I tweet every Friday my week in numbers, uh, and this week it would have been strange not to say we've expelled uh, a member, one of the most famous companies in our industry, and the wine glass, well, I felt I deserved a glass of wine. Um, now, I uh, take no pleasure in any of this. The uh, self-destruction of Bell Pottinger is something that nobody in our industry wanted to see. I feel incredibly sorry for the very many people who have now lost their jobs or are about to lose their jobs for something that was uh, beyond their control and nothing to do with them. But the PRCA took the right and tough decision to expel Bell Pottinger on the basis of their own work. And I think in doing so, uh, we have done a service to the PR and communications industry by showing that we do have ethical codes. They are enforced. And no no matter how famous and big you are, if you break our uh, ethical codes, we will expel you. Had we done anything other than that the industry would be being held in disrepute uh, right now. So I am very clear we took the right decision and it's in the best interest of the industry. Sure. Um, It's actually on the the impact on the industry that I wanted to to focus on, actually, because while some of that coverage, you know, 
that you were hinting at in your tweet has been very positive, obviously, for the PRCA. It's also brought out a lot of public um, sort of what I would say negative perception about the PR industry in general. I've seen lots of comments about, you know, or I'm not surprised and, and this kind of stuff and the whole typical of PR to, to work like that. Claire, let, let's come. Let's bring you in at this point. Does PR have a PR problem about its ethics? Uh, well, I don't do PR for the PR industry itself, but I do have a view because I, I chair the, the um, ethics committee, if you like. And... Um, and I think that, you know, the PRCA has proved that it's got teeth because actually it's expelled a couple of members, you know, just recently. So I think that maybe this is post-Leveson. Maybe there's a lot more seriousness about ethics now, thankfully, than there ever was. Um, but not only is it, you know, coming from the PRCA, but people are actually, you know, making some complaints and they are all, you know, followed up. But I think that... Um, do we have a, a PR problem within our industry? I'd like to think that by a long way, the majority of members actually behave very appropriately indeed. But it would be quite good to sort of flush out the people that really aren't behaving properly. And that takes for people to make some complaints and for my committee to deal with it. But the the, the, the actual, you know, the concept of 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 abiding by the code of conduct that the PRCA has is pretty simple. You know, there's only four words that you've really got to sort of... Um, bear in mind, you know, there's integrity and there's fairness, there's honesty and transparency. And if you have those four words as your watchwords, it shouldn't be too much of an issue when you should be on the right right side of the line. Mark, let's, uh, let's bring you in at this point. What's your thoughts on, on the ethics side of things? I, I think Claire makes an absolutely, you know, more than a valid point. It is, it is how I built my business um, over 30 years. I guess I could be a lot more richer if I had been tempted by some of the jobs that passed my way that were totally inappropriate. But that's easy, easy to to do. But I mean, you know, let's let, 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 let's look hard at this. I think that, you know, the PR business now is global and it's very good that Francis has drawn a very large red line in the sand. The problem we've got is that, you know, it's a very small industry in the UK. Let's be frank about it. I mean, if you're looking at the big American networks, they're eating our breakfast, lunch and dinner every day. I mean, we are so inconsequential in certain things, not in terms of influence and development. And and I think now there's a sort of growing industry around some very dubious countries, um, Turkey, um, some of the Arabs say China, you're looking at some of the people doing some nefarious things out of India, which, of course, was subcontracted to Bell Pottinger, um, Georgia. I mean, it's very difficult to police these sort of people. And I think fundamentally what this has done for many, many brands and big brands is to look at the way that they um, deploy PR, consider PR. I mean, certainly we've seen... BP, British Petroleum, as it was, you know, contracting their issue. And it's great that we all embrace that. And it's great what we're seeing, you know, and I, and I praised um, Francis both, you know, privately and publicly. And I know how difficult a time he had, you know, before it went public and the personal, um, you, know, uh, you know, burden he carried on this. Um, but how do we police global PR when this is just one small part of the business? I know PRCA actually has, um, you know, you know, quite a, quite a quite a wide brief and a number of people. But you know, we're going into a different age. You know, this has gone to the days of sort of traditional media relations as I grew up in. You know, we're we're looking at some of the nefarious activities of bots, of Google washing, of astroturfing, of using you know Facebook. We've we've seen fake news grow out of all proportion. 
Um, and we're, we're looking at the power brokers who are enabling that to happen, who have no morals at all, absolutely none. They have no polarity of their moral compass. And uh, this is what we've got to keep our eyes open for and take a very good look about it, because as PR changes, as we become more you know, digital, as we, 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 we lean towards how we affect our messaging through, through digital channels, it's open to massive, massive exploitation. And, you know, you walk in there with 100,000, 200, I mean, I think that's a small um, fee, actually. I don't think that's a full declaration of fee. I think there probably was a lot more that went along with that in terms of how they could actually fuel and fund this campaign through ancillaries. So it's a lot of money. And, um, you know, I've, I've said, you know, when money walks in the door, you know, sometimes ethics walk. And you've got to be tough. You've got to really, really be tough about that when you're when you're looking at it. For me, it's an easy decision. You know, I can transparently talk about all my clients. I transparently put all my clients. I think there should be rulings about how people obfuscate who don't talk about their clients. This is a this is a cancer that hasn't been cut out. So, so that actually leads me on to the question I was going to ask. Actually, is that is this just the tip of the iceberg? Just let me make. Two points about that. Um, the the first one is that um, on the international point that Mark correctly makes. Um, so PRSA has this role of also running the global umbrella body for PR associations in fifty five countries around the world. Um, those associations have been extremely happy, actually, at the ruling that we've made at the PRCA in London, but because to them it is a great example of how associations ought to be, and they are using it as guidance to the 2,500 agencies they they represent and regulate, uh, that there are those uh, big red lines in the sand and people shouldn't go uh, beyond them. Um, Second thing would be that um, the overwhelming response to the industry to uh, both in the UK and internationally to what we did was to say uh, well done and thank you. Uh, because the industry, as Claire says, is overwhelmingly ethical, uh, both here and I would say internationally, and wants to expel the people who break our ethical rules. My very clear view is that it isn't the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the Bell Pottinger case was a rare example of malpractice, and we took action on that example of malpractice, and if further examples occurred, in the future, then we wouldn't hesitate to do the same thing again. Claire, um, I said at the top of the show that you chair the uh, the PLCA's Professional Practices Committee. Um, so a group that's there to uphold the code of conduct when dealing with complaints and investigations into disputes and breaches, I believe. Um, what I wanted to ask you, though, just like this is, you know, from, from my perspective, just brought out something that I thought, you know, could be quite interesting to know is how many of your members do you think have even read that code? or at least know what's in it? I'm not sure that they've all sat down and studied it word for word, and I don't think they could recite it too well, especially not after a, a glass of wine on a, on a Friday, Francis. But, um, but I do think that most people would understand um, the sentiment very clearly. And, uh, uh, but, you know, you shouldn't rely on that, and you shouldn't expect that. I think there is still a responsibility from um, an employer uh, employing PR people or people who work in firms who actually uh, understand what the code is. And, and in that regard, you know, really and truly, it should be bound into people's employment contracts when they join a firm. It should actually be bound into a client contract when you uh, sign a new agency or when an agency signs a new client. It should be a part and parcel of that. And we, we've always had that. And it always amuses 
amuses me no end when I'm dealing with a very over-enthusiastic lawyer who is client-side who gives me, you know, corrections on what is actually our code of conduct. Um, and I politely point out that it's really not his place to be able to uh, amending, uh, amend the English. Um, but, you know, there are some really obvious steps that, you know, people can do to make sure that they do understand it, not least come on the training course that I run for the PRCA, which... Um, which, you know, if you think, well, I must get up early on a rainy day and go and do a PRCA training course on ethics, you know, that's a fairly dry subject and people might not initially be motivated to do it. But it is great fun because for every single paragraph of the Code of Conduct, I've got an ethical dilemma. I've got a, 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 an either made up or not that far from the truth example of just how awful it can be if you're if you feel ethically compromised you know working in this industry so it opens people's eyes to you know the sorts of things that i hope aren't going on but at sure. least it makes them you know aware of it and when you're getting all of that out on the table you know corruption you know deception you know lying and all of these things suddenly ethics becomes a much more interesting subject and let's be pretty clear about this um, nobody after the last uh, week or so can in our industry can be in any doubt that there is a PRCA code of conduct. I mean, the only people who don't know this now in our industry are people who don't read the FT and the Times and the Guardian and the Independent and listen to the BBC and watch Sky. So everyone now well, knows well, there well, is a this code. Podcast. Yeah, and, and, and this podcast. <laughs> and everyone now knows there is a code of conduct. We're going to enforce it. We take it very seriously. Yeah. But I think people sometimes don't realise how that might apply to them and how that might apply to business. And, I, you know, I run my own agency... Mark does too. I interview a lot of people. And during the interview process, I, I, I hear a few things that, you know, really do make your um, hair stand on end. But I do know that there are some agencies who are not PRCA members and they work on clients that they don't even know who the main client is. The client is a code name and they're working on something they don't really know who they're working for. That's they, my point. That's, yeah. that's clearly my point. I mean, let's, let's be very honest about, about this because we have to be. And it's always, it's always really, really um, grinded my gears is the fact that, you know, I've been a member of the PRC for many, many years. It was a, a, a tough process to become a member of that. And, and we got through that process. And it's been something I place on my website and I put all my credentials documents. I am pitching for a major international, major international piece of work. And I would accept that what has happened this week should wake up not just the the client and this is a an american client and who is completely oblivious to what's gone on and i'm pitching against a uk well-known corporate pr agency who is not a member of the prca so does... and i've used i've said hey guys wake up to what's happened this week because I'm not, I'm not going to be legally strung up on this. I know what that company does. So on, on that point, Mark. am I going to win that piece of business on the basis I should win that piece of business that I'm a member of the PRCA and this UK PR company is not, particularly of what we've gone through. And I'm really, really cheesed off about it. I was going to ask you, though. On, so on that point, up until now, would you say it's, you know, did it matter if you are or aren't a member of a of an industry body, and I should say, obviously, me, that there's me, of others. Of course, of course. I mean, you know, of course, it's important for me. No, but no, but that's why no, I pay my, my no large amounts of money to keep you know Francis in in the Ivy Club. You know, so uh, <laughs> joking apart, I'm no, joking, of course, no. I'm I mean, and I'm, 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 I'm a member myself, yeah. but I mean, no. But what I was going to say is, in terms of like for certain clients that may not see, you know, how important international clients, 
at the moment, and I'm hoping that this sends off a big light bulb. But, in, the, but there they are, should. But there's a lot. There are care. agencies that aren't members of of anybody. Let me say something here, which will probably shock the room. I was with two days ago, again, I'm not mentioning who that, that agency is, but a very powerful PR agency. Yeah. And when I questioned this particular person, why, uh, you know, why you're not in a PLCA? Surely you should be in a PLCA. I don't want to be thrown out of an organization. But that's why I'm not a member. And, you know, we had a very heated argument and we've known each other for many, 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 many years. But that's why this particular agency is not part of the PLCA. But you just said they're a powerful agency. They so are. they obviously have influence. They without have a being... lot of influence. Yeah. They have a lot of influence both here and around the world. Yeah. Well, well I mean, of the top 20 agencies in the UK, 15 of them are members of the PLCA. And uh, we've grown enormously year on year. So we now represent, we are now by far the largest association in Europe. And I think our industry, by and large, does, uh, it is ethical and it does welcome self-regulation and professional standards and so on. There are certain agencies who decide not to be members. And if I were one of their clients or a potential client after the last couple of weeks, I would be asking those agencies why do you decide not to be regulated by your professional body? And now they may have a good answer for that. Uh, they might not have a good answer for that. Um, I'm we, sure they have a good answer for it. Well, they might have <laughs> it's a, not, a... It's not the right a answer. correct answer for they're, that, yeah. They're, they're, they'll, have, you um, know, they'll have a spun answer to that, yes. Of but course. I think clients after the last couple of weeks will be asking those questions. And I said that, uh, I totally agree, Francis, and I said that right at the top of this, this chat, you know, that there'll be a lot of people evaluating how they operate. Um, I think there'll be... There could be, there should be some some briefs out to pitch soon. I think that there are a number of sort of chief executives who'd be taking a good hard look at it. Um, but you know, some of these, you know, the smoky rooms. There's a sort of cosy relationship be, between these power brokers at the top of the agencies and some of those brands, and there's some relationships uh, that go pretty deep. Um, and there is some offshoring of um, interests, which I mean, listen. The, investig the Bureau of Investigative Journalism did a really, really, you know, really, really good job on skewering Bell Pottinger and created the lobbying crisis. I mean, if you look back on that and you talk to the team at the BIJ who did that, they clearly made it very transparent that this was a fake and they, they, didn't, they didn't shield this at all. And what it was was a, a government pitch um, for a for a group of people, they faked up the name. There was no Google listing of it at all. They didn't do anything to fool anybody. Five major UK PR agencies, I don't know if they were a PLC members of it, actually pitched for that account. One of them at Cred's pitch pulled out because they realized it. None of them checked and thought, hang on, this is a bit dubious. It's a little bit here. All four of them went for it because it's a £200,000 a month contract. They went for it, and who was the most? Who who were the agency that really, really wanted it? Bell Pottinger, and of course, when that was exposed by the Independent and whatever, there came the long, slow decline of Bell Pottinger. That's where the rot and the cancer began, and because they became more and more desperate to replace that work. Um, but you know, it, it's amazing to me that you know a sensible human being wouldn't look at a gift horse in the mouth and be bewitched and that says something for standards morals greed 
you know, um, and uh, and, I, and I think that, you know, yeah, there's, there's some fantastic global business out there um, and there's some fantastic businesses that I'm, I'm proud to know and some of them I call my friends or whatever. Um, but there is there are there are certain people who are still driven by. You know, God is. You know, God is. You know, God is their. Their. You know, greed is their religion and their God. You know, so I think that um, what what we've got, which has to change, is a stronger media to pursue some of these stories. It's not necessary for the PRCA to do, but I think if the if the if the media were much more aggressive at looking at it, but let's also whisper it here. There's no interest in that because the very people are serving that powerful media are serving them the very access to some of the clients that they need. Sure. You, so you, it's, it's a difficult, it's a very difficult yeah. and murky world. And that, you know, that is what, you know, when I used to have my column on The Guardian, I tried to talk about that in an open sense, you know, because I think the more <coughs> we talk about it, the more we actually face up and say, this is a difficult time, we've got to do more and more work, the better for all of us. Mark makes a a very good point, and I don't disagree with any of it, but let me make this point in in contrast as well, that even for Bell Pottinger, the work they were doing for Oak Bay uh, was uh, rare and uh, quite at the margins of the work they were doing. Most of their work was quite normal work with some clients on the uh, the riskier end uh, of operations. If it was rare for Bell Pottinger, it is exceptionally rare for the great majority of PR practitioners in this country for whom this kind of work will... The average practitioner in PR will never even see the kind of work that um, Oak Bay represented. And we need to realise the great majority of people in our industry are ethical. They deal with perfectly uh, important but often uh, quite mainstream issues. Uh, so this is the exception. It isn't the normality of our industry. Sure. Do you, do you think, well, what I was going to ask, just picking up on some of the stuff that Mark was talking about, especially where you're saying, you know, number of agencies going to pitch for work, not necessarily part of, a, of a, an industry body. I gave um, one example. Right? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. But I was just thinking, do, do you think that this will change the way that the industry is regulated? Because surely at some point it's going to get to the point where you should and have to be part of an industry body like the PRCA that is regulating you. I mean, but if you can practice, at the moment, can, can, I, you can go and practice PR. Can I just say one point here? You know, I'm old, Father William. I mean, I've been doing PR when God was teaching his puppy, to, you know, house training his puppy, you know, so I've been around a lot. And I've got, you know, a long-term, not short-term memory. And I can remember as a kid the debate that surrounded the PR muscle around... Um, Union Carbide. And, you know, looking back at it, and I, you know, encourage everybody to read books like Toxic Sludge is Good for You and whatever, you know, which has it. But, you know, there was a heated debate out of America what was being done. And let's face it, victims of Union Carbide are still looking for recompense. Um, And that was driven. Let's not forget what happened for the first Gulf War, Naraya. You know, a complete, talk about fake news. You know, the, you know, Naraya going in front of um, the UN and the Senate, you know, talking about babies being thrown from incubators, which was the catalyst to, you know, to try and get the American support behind this action in the first Gulf War. It was a complete lie. The person had never left Washington. So, you know, we debated that and forgot about it. So I think we just have to surround and keep a dialogue running about malpractice 
we have to recognize, and I, I totally understand where France is coming, and, I was, and he's right, but the rich and the powerful spend a lot of money on influence, spin influence. I was 15 years old in the uh, Gulf War, so I don't have that uh, historical perspective that Mark brings. Um, but the industry I see today is overwhelmingly uh, ethical. This kind of work is very rare. And most people, if approached with that kind of brief, would have said no to it. Uh, true. But I just think we we have to hold on. The, you know, some of the, you know, the, the training that Claire does and carries forward, actually, we keep that practice in, in place. And we keep a steely eye on that. And I think that actually, uh, um, you know, in, in, in my agency, I've got a, quite a youthful group and they are not shy in coming forward and telling me what they think about any of this. And I would have a complete mutiny in my organisation if we went near anything like that. And, you know, we, we, we get our new business calls like you, Mark. We get the calls in from slightly uh, suspicious organisations of, you know, individuals who can't be named and organisations when you don't know they've, what they've got the name for. And, you know, and you have to deal with it with a certain amount of suspicion until you can really dig down and find out what is really going on. But similarly, we always try and find out who we might be pitching against if we're going for any business. Because like you, I don't want to play by the rules and then find myself pitching against a whole load of other people who aren't playing by the rules. But it's very very rare these days for us to be pitching against people who aren't members of the PRCA. So I feel as though that is, you know, flattening out the industry in a nice way. So we are all differentiated and coming off the same, you know, platform of, of, of dealing fairly and honestly, you know, with our clients. I think I think briefs now, particularly digitally, are, are you know, more, you know, a multi-territory than ever before. That's that's quite difficult. I, you know, it's always, you, you roughly know, you know, I, I rarely pitch, but we roughly know where... Where you're where you're coming from in this country, and you're absolutely right. You know that I could I could write a book on the the strange and the peculiar that have tried to entice us into a room. You know, and some of which have been production companies trying to stitch you up. You know, so I think that um, it it's it 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 is true of that. But I think as we become, you know, you know, people want to you know capture and and want the advice and the insight of a UK based. A business and they're looking for you know maybe a perspective from somewhere in in, in Eastern Europe or maybe America or, or China or whatever you know and, and I'm talking about the big global business the big global machines that do it but you know some of the more um, interesting briefs are coming in you know you pitch against you know I, you know you, you find yourself pitching against sometimes a Swedish shop and a Dutch shop and whatever and it, it's it's that, that's why it becomes more difficult and that's where it where it shifts and, and I think and if I was you find yourself pitching against different disciplines where yeah. you know there's some sort of marketing budget there but you're yeah, pitching yeah. against all sorts of different agencies that do different things yeah. um, but I would also like to say that you know in, in, in that new business process for example you know clients are looking to uh, appoint an agency that sort of excites and delights and inspires and thrills them and you've got to do all of that within the code of conduct but I don't want to be sitting here being like Mrs. Worthy saying how good we are and we play by the rules. I think you can play by these rules, but at the same time have a very Agreed. creative edge to the work that you're doing. But you just have to keep within that framework of um, honesty and fairness and transparency. And that's quite a big framework to play in. OK, lots more to come on this discussion, including uh, some uh, questions that I've been sent in from listeners uh, for my guests. Um, we are back after this quick break. It's harder than ever to keep track of everything being said in news and social media. It's even more difficult to gain actionable insights that will improve your reputation and results. 
Karma provides global media intelligence services to help you communicate more effectively. From automated media monitoring to expertly crafted PR measurement reports, Karma delivers what matters. For more information or to schedule a free consultation, please visit karma.com. That's C-A-R-M-A dot com. Welcome back to the C-Suite Podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith, and my guests, Francis Ingham, Claire Walker, and Mark Borkowski. Now, um, I shared the fact that we were going to be recording this podcast on social media, and I've received a couple of listener questions, uh, the first of which was via the Future Proof Facebook group from David Phillips. Um, now, David says, the universities are beginning to teach ethics in PR, um, but there is not much by way of basic research to draw on, e.g. the media is now a very broad church from Twitter, bot uh, to the FT. And then David goes on to ask a three-part question. Um, so, Mark, I'm going to come to you on this one, actually. Uh, so his question is, what then do we mean by a free press in defense of democracy? How then can we instill ethics into AI-based bots? And who is doing the research? Or is this a bear trap waiting to happen to the latter-day Bell Pottinger? God, three fantastic questions. <laughs> and uh, how long have you got to answer even for the first part of it? Um if we're talking about a free press, I think the statistics were last month or maybe two months ago that uh, Twitter, sorry, uh, Facebook hit, hit um, 20 billion views. Uh, make no mistake, our life is ruled by the four horsemen of the apocalypse now. Um, and um, they have severely weakened, um, you know, the, 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 the old world of the media now. And, you know, we don't no longer talk in long form, we talk in short form brief. So it's incredibly difficult. And let, let's face it, um, there's no such thing as organic any longer. You know, they, they've covered off all the bases. It, 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 you know, when, you, when you're looking at serving advertising through news or what is perceived to be organic news, is completely useless. If you think that, yes, of course, man being dragged from plane, people on camera phones grab that, that's going to go viral. But it, it, it's very difficult to exist in that world where, luckily, I will say in defense of, you know, um, traditional media, both here and in, in, in America, you know, for its declining um, reach, it has a huge amount of effect. And we've got to really focus on those that have the genuine influence to move the needle and actually rest of opinion. And that's that's that exists both in, in blogs. So there's some hope within that. But I mean, we just that's why we have to be a lot more critical and, and scrupulous about the facts. And we can go on all day talking about fake news. But, you know, people actually feel they're comfortable with a story without examining the actual root of it. Um, but but on the point, so what David was talking about, though, in stealing ethics into these AI bots, I mean, is it? I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, again, this is a fantastic question. We keep talking about AI, and I always sort of draw a line on a piece of A4P, but, you know, to people. As we, you know, we know that things like likes and, and hashtags and whatever are training computer you know, to be more human. Actually, what we've got to start fighting is not about about AI. It's actually us stopping becoming robotic because I think the tech charts want us to be that. So I think that that's an interesting question, but who knows? That's 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 like the the, 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 the Chinese diplomat was asked about the effects of the French Revolution a couple of years ago, and he said it's too early to tell. You know, so I, I, I think that's an unfathomable question. But Claire? Um, well, Elon Musk, who everybody knows, um, he said that um, 
AI is either the best or the worst thing for humanity. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see which way that uh, coin lands. But, you know, with all of these things, human beings will make it what it is. And, um, you know, if uh, if you're training your AI bots to do things a bad way, well, then you might end up in a bad place with it. But I think the reliance here is on the human beings to actually be behaving appropriately. And, uh, you know, I was asked to um, I was asked to sit on a debate at the House of Commons, actually, on ethics a couple of years ago. And this was particularly about um, wearable technology. It was actually on behalf of the CIPR. It was a very good event. But, you know, when you're looking at any of this new technology, you know, what is it that is really going to hold firm? And and I think that if you're looking at any development, at anything, you know, in the world, actually, if you've got some robust codes, if you've got some uh, robust behaviours, they stand the test of time. Um, on the university point, uh, PRC has over... 20 partner universities um, once a year we go and present to their students uh, the uh, the code of conduct and uh, tell them about because um, they're all members of ours tell them about the ethical code that governs them and on the traditional media point um, well uh, I think the power of traditional media uh, has been shown these last couple of weeks as well actually the, the story that developed around Bell Pottinger and deepened and escalated over those couple of weeks uh, was one of the main reasons why Bellpot went into administration. Um, and it has proved that um, old-fashioned media still does have the power to change the fortunes of companies. I mean, when this began, I, uh, I read um, a fair number of people saying that Bellpot would be able to weather the storm. And it was partly because the storm on traditional media became so intense that clients walked and they weren't able to do so. I think the universities have got a pretty good case study to be working on right now anyway. <laughs> so uh, there'll yeah. be no shortage of um, uh, research that they can do on that. And um, and I think, is this, a, you know, we were asked, is this a bear trap yeah. and is this going to happen again? Well, not if people pay attention to it. Not if, not if, not if people look at this in a way... Uh, you know, not to you, you. You mentioned the agency that didn't want to sign up to the PRCA because they thought they were going to get fired. I mean, how ridiculous! This is this is something that people should not be scared of. They should just get prepared to be more ethical in the way they approach things. My my point was at the core of their business, they're not ethical. That's well, why they yeah. didn't want to join PRCA. Well, I, I mean, that's why they clearly made the point, which I originally thought was a joke. But, of course, it's true. It's in, why would we join an organisation that would, that would actually um, you know, cast, us, cast us asunder? So. I, well, well, I would like to believe they have difficulty recruiting then. Well, for, for fear of turning this into a 30-minute well, 30, 30 ad no, for the no, PRCA, no, no, I've got no, another right. question. Here, but so. this is the point. Again, I had a, I had a, I had a very interesting argument with, um, um, at, a, at a breakfast seminar about the fact that um, you're seeing a lot of people now who, once upon a time, um, would consider a career in journalism. Bright, um, quizzical, incredibly principled sort of people, you know, who, who, who want to be a journalist or saw themselves as, uh, you know, significant in that field. And I think that the, the, a lot of the organisations that I would think are under scrutiny at the moment are employing ex-journalists. I mean, and they are attracting recruiting those sort of people who would have been journalists now, who probably haven't been to, um, you know, be on a, on, a, on, a, on a PR sort of, you know, uh, a course or whatever. Or, you know, so it's, 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 
it's a it's a very very complex web that is not simply it's absolutely common sense and the core of my business has been for 30 years about that that but um, there are there are shades that, that I think that other people are, are hiding under. Which I know, I know we're talking a lot here, and I apologise, Russ, but um, I'm actually quite proud, uh, Mark, that somebody said to you they wouldn't join us because they are unethical and they would be expelled. We're not just some sort of dining club. We're a professional association that takes regulation um, seriously. And if you are a client or a potential client, you ought now to be looking and saying... You're not accountable. Why is it that you are not accountable? And that is a very good place for the industry to be in, actually. I agree. This, this, we're singing from the same Hongshongshi. You know, I'm throwing some, you know, real light onto some of the dark corners, yeah. which I but think. Ma- okay. ma- ma- maybe the. <laughs> go on. Maybe there's to move on, but go on. You know, there's okay. obviously some sad things that have come out of the people yeah, of who have lost their jobs, mm. and there, there is sadness around it for sure. But maybe, you know, this is the time of year when a lot of people might be looking to change their PR arrangements for 2018. Maybe just now they're going to be thinking a little bit more carefully about what sort of agencies they like to pull into that long list, and maybe they should think very carefully and only bring in PRCA members. Okay, we, let, let, let's move on, and, and I should say that there are other um, industry bodies to consider as well. Uh, right. This second question came in via the C-Suite podcast feed. Francis is going who? Um, which, of course, I'd encourage all listeners to follow. That's uh, simply just go to at C-Suite podcast. Um, this is from Eileen Thompson, who is the executive director of uh, communications at the Association of British Pharmaceutical Industry, uh, better known as the APPI. Um, Eileen has asked, and so this is going to all three of you, what three steps would each panelist have advised Bell Pottinger to take to avoid the current outcome? Claire, let's come to you first. Three steps. Particularly on Bell Pottinger. On Bell Pottinger, yeah. Well, um, step number one, take heed. They had some warnings. I know they had some warnings and they did not take heed. Number two, what were they doing working for that company in the first place? Did they really peep enough under the duvet to really find out what was going on there? Because they should have done and they should have walked away from it straight away. And and I think the third thing is, um, you know, as, as Mark said, if unethical practices are at the core of your business, this is a very sad place to be. But I wouldn't want to work there and I wouldn't want to engage that agency. And I think that it comes back to what I mentioned earlier. In the, in the staff contracts, in the client contracts, get some training on board and refresh that training constantly. Mark? Don't take the job. Don't take the job. Don't take the job. Okay. <laughs> ditto, ditto, ditto. Perfect. Okay. I hope that answers uh, Eileen's question uh, quite simply. Uh, right. I want to come back to the media storm from last week. Um, not focusing on the issue, but from the point of view of someone managing your crisis comms, because it's going to be very easy. I mean, Clay, you talked about this just before in terms of using this as, as a future case study, not just for a PR agency, but any company having a, a bit of a reputational crisis. Um, so... Could it have been handled any better by Pelton, Bell Bottinger, um, obviously, when the news broke? Uh, you know, do you think they pretty much thrown in the towel anyway? I'm just thinking because, like, you know, you didn't hear from any of them. They closed down their Twitter feed. Um, I, I think that actually the way that Bell Pottinger handled the whole case, um, handled the media around the case, was a case study in itself in how not to behave. Um, they didn't engage. They continually turned down media requests for uh, commentary. They closed down their, their, they locked their Twitter account, as you say. Um, when James Henderson, for whom actually I have some sympathy in, in, in this, given his 
personal circumstances have changed rather significantly as a result of the last couple of weeks. Um, when he resigned, he uh, first of all, it kind of leaked out anyway. And then secondly, um, his resignation statement in itself was a, I'm taking the rap, I'm the chief exec, therefore that's what I do, but I was let down by the people I employ. Well, that, that was, again, the wrong thing in itself. There was no real contrition shown. There was no apologise, apologise profusely, apologise uh, believably, apologise fundamentally and move on. And um, that they handled it all in the wrong possible, in the worst possible way. I, I, I thought Henderson came out pretty quickly to say that it was, you know, he, he tried to take it all upon himself. As I remember, you, you, you obviously know more about the pre running up the events running up to this but I thought he he tried to you know at least I think it was so hubristic actually I don't think they I don't think they really saw you know the meteor crashing in I think that they were in a bit of a sort of arrogant bubble and um and I think the mere fact that they took the job or in you know chose the tactics they used on behalf of that client actually you know got the, they quickly learned just what they had done. I, I just don't think they they, they, they they could actually face the enormity of what they had actually created. And it was, um, you know, it just wouldn't go away. And I think that they believe that all publicity is good publicity at some point. And I do feel incredibly sorry for the very many good people at Bell Pottinger. Agreed. And I think, I feel, you know, there's a lot of senior people there that have waved goodbye to their pensions, their savings, their options. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, in, in, a, in a much, in, in, a, in a, an appalling state, you know, financially. Well, let me give you one uh, example. Kevin Reed uh, of Bell Pottinger uh, sat on our board until he very uh, honourably uh, resigned from the board. Um, Kevin was on sabbatical for pretty much the whole of the period covered by this uh, piece of work, writing a book as it happens. Um, he will have been affected by this. I know that Kevin is a very decent and honourable man. He's been caught up in this uh, crisis of self-destruction uh, and he's not the only one. And for people like Kevin, um, I feel really sorry because it is a problem not of their own making. Why do you think Lord Bell felt the need to do the interview? And the, 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 on, you know, on, on Newsnight, which obviously has done the rounds quite a lot, Mark, I... I've, I'll come to you first on this one because you wrote on your blog last week that he was crucified in that interview for his perceived part in the Gupta deal and that his protests uh, that he had nothing to do with the work itself given he resigned from the company over a year ago, fell on deaf ears and that he walked into the oldest media trap of a kangaroo court interview. What, why even bother doing the interview with his experience? I, I just, I, I think I tweeted at the time that, you know, Tim will look at that and actually take a long, good, hard look at himself, really, frankly, because, you know, um, and I think that there was absolutely no need for him to do it. I don't understand why. I think that there was absolutely an agenda, and he, as a PR person of some repute, he should have known what the PR do, uh, agenda was. I think there was some unfortunate trolling. I mean, Tim has been ill, you know, he's been a stroke, and it was ages trolling, which I thought was was uncalled for but it was a car crash and um you know tim could have disappeared off off the scene you know and i think that dusty war had the blood in her jaws and she wasn't listening and 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 the fake phone moments or whatever that phone moment was as much as become a a moment of great hilarity um possibly was a deliberate tactic to sort of you know shift it it wasn't you calling you know that was a ha ha Uh, but um i I just i just find it extraordinary He, he would actually 
be there. But of course, maybe that allegedly shows that the enmity that existed between Henderson and, <coughs> and, and Lord Bell existed, and yeah. he wanted to, you know, there, there's there's clearly, I think, well known a lot of not much good blood there. Um, so, you know, whenever you seek revenge, I always say to my clients, dig two graves. I think that um, it was a bit of a sad interview, really. Um, sad that he took part in it and, and sad the way the whole thing came out. And, and the whole episode is a little bit sad, full stop. Um, but maybe um, uh, Kevin will change the subject matter of his book because he's got a really good story to tell. And as, you know, worse things have happened to, 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 to better men. You know, I think, you know, when something like this happens, you've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, learn, and then just m move on. And all of these people are going to have something to talk about. And so long as they talk about it in the right way and they respect where things went wrong and how things could have been different, but what they have learned from it, they should be using this as an opportunity to move on and move forward. I, th I, think, I think, absolutely right, very good point. I think how you recover... You are not over until it's over, and I think you know there's a there's a symbol in you know in the in the in the in the in the Japanese or is it the Chinese that with every crisis there's an opportunity you know and I think that um, you know it, it's about recovery now recovering the tattered ruins that that lie here and um, you know if you deal with this in a in a in a proper way as Claire pointed out there is there is some there is some well, well, level well mark's right with every crisis there is an opportunity and this was a crisis for the pr industry and i think by taking decisive and firm and quick action uh, we've uh, actually recovered something rather good it's that the fact that the industry does have ethical codes and people uh, and the PRC is willing to enforce them. Mark, um, just picking up on that, actually, there was a couple of other things you wrote in that post that I, that I read referring to Bill Postinger. You said, um, and obviously the, the news has moved on, obviously, as, as, we, as we said at the top of the show, but you said scraps will be salvaged and the less toxic parts could, with careful handling, be rebranded into something vaguely respectable. Do you, do you really think that's um, achievable? I think that, or you know, we're, we're, I think when you were, when I was writing that, you know, events were, were changing around. Yeah. You know, that's a point when you, you pitch in to write a post, you know, such as that. That story is moving so quickly. I think that so too know, late for that now. I, uh, listen, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know enough about it. I think we will find a number of the senior people and the good people will have a career and will go on. And I, you know, I, I've, I've spoken to one or two people there who have options, which is which is good news. So, I think it's 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 Claire point point points out is actually if you can. You know, be be pretty humble about this, and you know, really, it, it, you know, learn the lessons. You know, mm, yeah. um, everybody, you know, they haven't murdered anybody. Well, you know, ultimately, you know, so therefore, you know, as I said, worse things have happened to to to, yeah. to, to, to better men. Well, well, the other bit I, I I read in in your post, you said the undoing of Bill Pottinger could be a fertile case study, and who better to tell it uh, than its now former CEO James Henderson? So I don't know if that was a pitch to do James's PR, but. Uh, certainly not a certainly not a pitch to do James B.I. He couldn't afford me. But um, <laughs> more importantly, I think there'll be a number of people lining up to buy the book rights. Uh, certainly will be. And, you know, there's a movie in it. And let's not forget that the depths of despair, you know, reputations have been tarnished. And, you know, maybe James should actually look at Anthony Weiner, the American political figure um, who, who, who survived um, a very... Uh, interesting case of sending inappropriate pictures 
um, on mobile phones in right in the middle of an election campaign and came back with utter honesty and rebuilt his career only to destroy it again by doing exactly the same thing. His wife stuck by him or whatever. So if you haven't seen that doc, it's it's well worth watching. And also maybe, you know, James can actually watch it late at night when he's grabbing his Horlicks. OK, uh, final word from each of you. Um, a good couple of weeks for the PR industry or not, Claire? I think it has been a good couple of weeks for the PR industry. <coughs> I really do. I mean, I think that, you know, it's, you know, shone a spotlight um, on... Uh, on some bad things, and uh, that's a good thing because we dealt with it. So, yes, yeah, a good couple of weeks. It's a fireworks show. It's been an absolute fireworks show, and it has it has raised a number of important issues that need to be continued to be examined and expressed. It doesn't finish here. Yes, these could have been a terrible couple of weeks for the PR industry, but because the PRCA did the right thing, we've proved we have ethical codes and we will enforce them. It's been a very good couple of weeks. I, I expected nothing less uh, from you, Francis, than that final pluck. Um, excellent. Uh, Mark Bukowski, uh, Claire Walker and Francis Ingham, thank you all for joining the show. Uh, just a couple of other thank yous. Firstly, to broadcast specialist marketeers for hosting us and recording this episode, um, and to Global Media Intelligence Provider Karma for supporting the show too. I'm sure um, they can provide some interesting and analysis of the media insights around this whole story. So if you want to find out more about their media monitoring and PR measurement, you can visit them at karma.com. We've got quite a few shows uh, scheduled for the coming months, including topics on creative inspiration, social mobility, and a show being recorded at the World Travel Market. But if you also want to uh, get involved in the series in any way, uh, you can contact me on Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith, or use the contact form at csweetpodcast.com where you can listen to all previous shows too. Uh, don't forget, you can also subscribe to the series on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher by simply searching for the C-Suite Podcast. And if you're on iTunes, please do give us a positive rating and review because that helps us up the business charts. We've also got a Facebook page and Twitter feed linked from the website where you can get involved in the discussion too. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.